It's Amy Siskin of The Weekly List and author of the book, The List. And welcome to episode 141 of The Weekly List Podcast, which is the seventh episode in a segment called Democracy at Risk. Welcome. When we spoke last, which was six weeks ago, I had just published an article that I described called I sounded the alarm for authoritarianism in 2016, and I am sounding it again. We had been discussing the election in 2021, some mixed results, some warning signs, and a clear path being quietly undertaken by Republicans for setting up for a coup in 2024. Sad to say, since that time, we have little to show for making any progress to stop what could be an apparent coup. Uh, I will tell you that since I wrote that article, others had written articles around the same time or shortly after, this thought and this acceptance of what the Republican Party is up to has become much more mainstream and uh, ingested by a lot in uh, that are Democrats and former Republicans before it became the full-blown party of Trump. Uh, and people are sounding the alarm bells along with me, but now it's gone to the point where I, I think people have given up that anything is going to happen to stop it. Uh, with this podcast, we are marking the year end essentially for our Congress, which adjourned now. Through the rest of the year, they're taking two and a half weeks off, and Lord knows why we don't need those weeks off. Uh, The Senate has stalled the second part of Biden's agenda, the Build Back Better plan. And more importantly, there's been no progress on voting rights protection. As I discussed last week with my piece, it is central that we fix voting rights, including gerrymandering, but especially voting rights, because what the Republican Party is setting up to do is not only to suppress the vote and and with measures that have passed in 14 states, they're also setting up to change the way the vote is counted and the way the vote is reported. In other words, you could have a result in the state of Michigan that showed that uh, Biden or a other Democrat won by 10,000 votes or in Texas, but some of the legislature being considered in these states would allow either the state legislature run by Republicans, election boards, or or courts to overturn the will of the people. And a voting rights bill would correct that at the federal level. Again, as we discussed last week, there's nothing being that the Supreme Court is going to do to stop these measures. They made that clear when in a July ruling relating to two Arizona measures that were basically voter suppression. So it is really just up to uh, our our Congress. And that is something that can pass in the House, but the Senate is stalled and nothing is happening in the Senate. And now they are gone for the balance of the year. It's extremely discouraging. Also, as we close out the year, And we're approaching the one-year anniversary of that horrific attempted coup that we all basically watched in real time. I I, I mean, many of us were watching 
it live on CNN. The world was watching or on other networks. And we are approaching a full year since that. And we have shown no accountability for any of the insiders or enablers of this attempted coup of our democracy. Zero. There have been a little over 700 arrests, uh, most of which are, are serving very minor jail time for the folks that have participated in it. I think the longest sentence I saw was a little over four years. Some are serving under a year. Uh, but again, the people that were behind it, including Trump, Zilcho. Uh, and we're going to talk this week about finally, you know, this is something I've been pushing and others uh, on social media pushing our House Select Committee that is investigating January 6th to be more public about what is going on. We haven't seen anything in the public domain since the hearings that happened over the summer when some of the officers that were there explained their experiences and what had happened. And and it was, it was, it was something that brought the country along. It was shocking, it was horrifying, but it brought the country along. Up until this past week, we hadn't seen anything else from this committee made public. I, I imagine they're working hard. I imagine they're calling in a lot of people and some of it they don't want out of the public domain, but there still is some that you can put in the public domain. So this week marked the first time that we have seen anything since then. And we saw text messages from Mark Meadows, who is the former chief of staff of Trump. He became the second official uh, that the House committee and then the full House of Representatives voted to hold in contempt for failing to testify before the committee. The first person was Steve Bannon. Uh, Steve Bannon has been thumbing his nose at this whole process. He has no basis for not testifying. He wasn't even part of the Trump regime when he was involved in this insurrection. But he thumbed his nose at the process. He was referred for criminal contempt to the Department of Justice. They moved forward on taking him to court, and now his court date isn't until July, another seven months. And in the meantime, his plan is very clearly to run out the clock and hope that the Republicans take back the House, which there's a very good chance given the inertia for getting Biden's agenda passed and, and where we stand on things. Uh, but he has basically thumbed his nose at the process. And now Mark Meadows, who had turned over a lot of documents, has done the same. And the House just voted he will be the second person held in contempt, but we have not heard from the DOJ yet as to whether they will pursue that case or not. But let me read you, and again, this is the second time we've had anything out of the committee to sort of chew on, to give us a sense of what was going on behind the scenes. Uh, Mark Meadows had these texts sent to him by Fox News hosts. First, Laura Ingram, who is the host that has a popular show at 10 o'clock Eastern time in New York. Uh, each night, she sends him a text, quote, Mark, the president needs to tell people in the Capitol to go home. This is hurting all of us. He is destroying his legacy. Another evening host, Sean Hannity, who has the nine o'clock slot, said, quote, can he make a statement? Ask people to leave the Capitol. 
Brian Kilmeade, who is one of the co-hosts of Fox and Friends, which is a morning show on Fox News, echoed their concern, texting Mark Meadows, quote, please get him on TV, destroying everything you have accomplished. Later, all within 24 hours after sending those texts to Mark Meadows, all three of those Fox hosts went on and blamed in various forms Antifa or somebody that is not a Trump supporter that just happened to be there from the far left or far right, despite the fact that they watched and begged of Meadows to tell Trump to stop it. Donald Jr., who seems to have disappeared since this news became public, texted Mark Meadows, quote, we need an oval address, and quote, he has to lead now. It has gone too far and gotten out of hand. He also texted, quote, he's got to condemn this shit ASAP, to which Meadows texts in response, I'm pushing it hard. I agree. And again, Donald Jr., similar to the Fox News host, said something completely different out in the public. But that was the first taste in the public that we got of behind the scenes what was happening as Trump supporters, who he had incited that morning, were storming our nation's capital. But other than that, we have seen nothing of any consequence come out of this committee. And again, we are now, as we are done for the year for Congress, they will not be returning to January. Then we will have a little over 10 full months before the election, the 2022 election. So again, folks, we are past the half point of our time in the majority. And um, yeah, I probably sound exhausted, discouraged. And I think that's unfortunately the feeling of the country. If we're listening to the tapes and this podcast a hundred years from now, what is the mood of the country? Learned helplessness. A lot of people are again, comparing this to Hitler's Germany. It can happen here that the people just kind of gave up. Here we are working so hard to get these majorities and we have precious little to show for it. I, I, I just, if you had asked me a year ago when we won the House, the Senate, and the White House, if there would be accountability within a year for the first coup by the American people of their own democracy, I would have said absolutely yes. But again, we have precious little to show. Meanwhile, Biden's approval numbers are weak, continuing to weaken, uh, in part because of this stalemate and inability to get things passed in the Senate. In in part because of frustration with how things are going and being presented and because very good propaganda by Fox News, which is, again, having more eyeballs on that network than anywhere else and telling their viewers how bad the economy is, even as the economy sets new records for the last 50 years and the lowest unemployment, the lowest weekly numbers. Uh, all sorts of positive record stock market, all sorts of positive aspects to our economy. Uh, and Biden's ratings on all of these aspects have, have gotten worse. COVID also is back in the news. There's a strain called Omicron. 
and as we had passed this week, 800,000 dead in the United States alone from this pandemic, we still have people who watch Fox News being unwilling to get vaccinated. Even as this new variant seems to be, as based on what we know so far, uh, far more aggressive in how it spreads. We're seeing another surge. The good news is people who are vaccinated and have the boosters are protected for the most part from going to the hospital. You're 20 times more likely to die of COVID if you are unvaccinated than if you had the booster. And yet, this is what happens when you have a propaganda kind of station and a po- political party who is largely telling its base not to get vaccinated. Uh, and yet, because of this sort of bifurcated way our media is con- is cons- is consumed by the American people, a lot of Americans believe the vaccinations are bad and taking away their liberty and are refusing to get them done. And they are nonetheless blaming Biden and his ratings on COVID have fallen. So um, add all of this to a major happening in our Supreme Court and something I talked about when I started the list was a piece written in November 2016 by Marsha Gessen, who is a specialist in sorts in authoritarianism, especially as relates to Russia. And she had warned in something we've talked about in this podcast about what would happen to the Supreme Court, how it would be stacked with extremists is something that is typically done in an authoritarian regime and people would lose their trust in the court. And that, of course, was prescient because that is happening now. The three justices that were selected by Trump seem to be on the way to uphold a Mississippi lower court ruling that would effectively end access to abortion after 12 weeks in that state and could be copied in other states. And of import here, and what the constitutional scholars are raising the alarm bells about, and what even Chief Justice Roberts is, in his opinion, uh, raising the alarm bells about for this and another case relating to a Texas law, which is still standing, that limits abortion and allows vigilantes to basically enforce abortion limitations, uh, is these rulings and the expected ruling from Mississippi, it hasn't come out yet, but we're reading the writing on the wall, uh, basically allow states to overrule what is constitutional, to overrule Roe v. Wade. So you have that as a standard, and then you have the governor of California, Newsom, saying, well, I'm going to use that then in California and outlaw assault ban uh, weapons. So I'm you know, trying to kind of squeeze it back the other way. If you're allowing states to overrun the Constitution, we can do it on our side too. But you can see how overall this is just bad for trust in our system of justice here, our Supreme Court. And Chief Justice Roberts is aware of this, but this is also part of authoritarianism that um, the Supreme Court is, swings to a point where it is so far off to the side and it is based on religion as opposed to, and we are not a religious, we are, we are a country with many different religions, but we are not a religious state. And that is what is becoming of the United States with this new Supreme Court. 
so that's a major happening as well. And I will tell you, I'm shocked by the level of, I guess, learned helplessness again is the words I'm going to use, that there aren't a million women marching in Washington, D.C., uh, you know, the way that we did for the Women's March. We're about to lose access to abortion, either have it limited to 12 weeks or there's a chance it could be overruled altogether. So even with all these things happening, there's sort of this just calm, learned helplessness, indifference. Uh, it's hard to put into words. It, it, it feels very much like the calm during before the storm. And those of us who are screaming bloody hell and sounding the alarms feel like we are screaming into the void because nothing is happening. And this is another thing that could be legislated if our Senate and House are in session, they could work on codifying Roe, try to get some of the senators like Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and others to some sort of agreement on and get try to get 60 votes. But again, it's people left. People are gone. Uh, you know, there's minor and, you know, Trump's whole modus operandi throughout his time has been to kind of keep kicking the can down the road, which is what we discussed that Bannon is doing with a contempt charge. Uh, and since we spoke last, a Trump appointed appeals judge ruled that the Trump's tax rec records could be released by the Treasury Department. Uh, as they were requested by Congress years ago at this point. But again, they're kicking it down the road, trying to get the Supreme Court to hear it. So we have nothing to show for it. New York Attorney General Letitia James wants to depose Trump on January 7th of next year for a civil fraud investigation into the Trump organization. We'll see if that happens. There's another lawsuit filed by the District of Columbia Attorney General that's suing the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers over January 6, uh, citing a modern version of the 1871 law known as the Ku Klux Klan Act. But all of these things, these are things that we've been talking about now for the last year. And again, it's just, you know, full year out and no accountability. No, these are just not going anywhere. You know, and, and the level of dysfunction within our government beyond inability to pass things. Since we spoke last, um, one of the Trump acolytes, Paul Gozar, who is one of the many extremists that now have become the face of the Republican Party, had been tweeting a video kind of irreverently about AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a representative on the far left, basically showing her violence against her. Uh, and he was censured, but only two Republicans went along with that. The vote was 223 to 207. And since then, there's been similar kind of hate thrown at Muslim member of Congress uh, by Laura Bobart, uh, the, the Muslim uh, representative Ilhan Omar, and no action against it. So these are just examples of how we, even within our halls of Congress, things have gotten so much worse and then normalized uh, and nothing happens. I mean, we were full out laughing. The, the people that Probart was, was speaking to, this was at a fundraiser when she was making these comments, were laughing. 
This is now where the Republican Party is. They're also fully embraced, as we talked about a couple of years ago, when Trump embraced Marjorie Taylor Greene and others who are part of this QAnon uh, phenomenon of, of, of craziness. QAnon has been meeting in Dallas, Daily Plaza, where JFK was shot, waiting for JFK Jr.'s return. They've had multiple meetings there. This is the kind of stuff going on in our country. Uh, and, you know, as well, I just want to sort of close out. We, we talked a lot about in the beginning how, you know, the warning signs of what is happening in this slow motion coup for 2024. The New York Times had an article that talked about the extremists that have run, some of them successfully, and some of that will be running in 2022, who believe the big lie, who are bracers of the big lie. And they're trying to put themselves in place in 2022 ahead of the 2024 election. My article I focused on very much, and it's again still on the website, about Michigan, about being Michigan being the one state in the year 2020 that I was concerned might be overturned. Um, and I say in the article, the only thing that saved us is we had the governor, we had the attorney general, and the secretary of state were all Democrats. And we discussed in my article the fact that that is a point of focus. And the New York Times writes some of the Trumpites that are embracing this big lie that are running, two of them. Uh, one is, her name is Christina Caramo. She's a community college adjunct professor. And she is running against uh, the Secretary of State of Michigan, who is a Democrat, Jocelyn Benson. Uh, the woman that Trump has backed, this Caramo, has claimed that the 2020 elections were fraudulent, advocating for removing what she calls, quote, traitors from the Republican Party. And she's accused Democrats of pursuing a, quote, satanic agenda, which is a code buzzword for QAnon. Uh, in Georgia, Representative Jody Heist, who said she is, quote, not convinced at all for one second that Joe Biden won the state of Georgia, is running against Raffensperger. So you see these slow steps of these nuts, <laughs> these people that fully embrace QAnon and the big lie, um, being put into positions and raising a, a host load of money, thanks to Trump, to take over Secretary of State positions in these key states. So I'm going to close out with the importance of passing voting rights. If we pass nothing else, when our Senate finally comes back on January 3rd, we must pass voting right protections. If we allow things to stand as they are, there will be key states that will be able to overturn the will of the people at, at, at Trump's request. This will be our last chance coming into 2022 to put brakes on play in place uh, before we potentially lose the majorities. And also to focus on these key states and these key races for those of us out of state to help these candidates. I, I, I've already done an event for Indivisible Michigan. I'm doing an event for the three women that are running, the governor, the secretary of state, and the attorney general. We have to watch Georgia, we have to watch Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, all have these three positions up in 2022. 
So I know everyone's going to need to take a rest through the end of the year, and we're all going to have time home because of COVID. But start to think about, and you might ask, what should I do? People keep asking, what should I do in 2022 as we gear up? And I am asking you to pull out your calendar from four years ago in 2018 and see what you did four years ago, what groups you were party to, what activities you did. Did you send postcards? Uh, Did you do phone banking? Did you do texting? What organizations did you volunteer with? Were you part of Indivisible or other resistance groups? And start to get involved going in 2022. Uh, Because as I have been saying, no one is coming to save us, folks. We are the cavalry. So have a great new year, get some rest, and come back ready to fight for our democracy. Take care.